All right, I want to show two, two images. When a dog approaches me to pet him, hashtag blessed. Um, and this is a good one. If you're familiar with Parks and Rec, four green lights in a row, hashtag blessed. So I, want to, um, I wanted to start here. I want to show some images from social media. As many of you might be aware, but there's kind of a running, I don't know, joke on social media about the overuse of the term hashtag blessed, right? Some of you have heard of this or are familiar with this. That's what that joke from Parks and Rec is getting at. Um, and I wanted to start here. I've just thought of this as I was preparing the sermon this week. Um, I think it's really actually interesting that our culture, on some intuitive level, our culture gets that the word blessed and what it actually really means to be blessed, I think we actually get on some level that it's a profound thing. And so therefore, whenever you see on social media people treating it in a flippant, superficial way, there's like something, we get that there's something wrong, right? Like, we kind of tap into that without really thinking about it. That to say you're blessed and to associate it with getting four green lights in a row or something, uh, we get that that's just not an appropriate use of the term blessed, right? Um, I think that, that that that's pulling on a thread that at some deep level we realize that to actually say you're blessed, even if it's gotten really watered down in our culture, but to actually um, claim to be blessed should actually be profound. It should actually be significant. It should actually be... Um, there should be depth to it, to what that actually means. And so I'm starting here um, because of the scripture that we're going to look at in a minute. Jesus is a very, very famous section of uh, Jesus' teachings. And he uses the term blessed over and over and over and over again, right? Some of you know probably where we're going. He says it over and over and over again. And it's one of those words, because it gets so used so frequently, uh, if someone sneezes, we say, bless you, right? Like, it's a thing that we just kind of say and say and say, and it can be really easy for it to get so watered down and to forget that it's actually a really profound thing. It's a deep thing. So that's why I wanted to dwell on it for a moment with these kind of ridiculous images. Let's see if this will work now. Nope, go ahead and go to the next one, Lizzie. So the word blessed, well, there's actually two two words in the Greek that could be used that get translated blessed. The one that I'm going to focus on today is makarios. Everyone say makarios. I really like doing that. Thank you for humoring me. So, Macarius, you'll remember it now. Um, this is the term that Jesus use, uses in the text that we're going to look at. There's another term that he doesn't use that also gets translated blessed. The other term is the term you'd use if you uh, ask for a blessing or if you say, like, bless this bread before you break it. Um, or if you ask God to bless something. That's the other term. That's not the term that we're focusing on today. The term we're focusing on today is Macarios, which also gets translated blessed. That's why it's a little confusing. Sometimes we use the same English word to get it different things in the, in the text. Um, but this Greek term, makarios, it indicates a state of being, a status, a condition. It's not a favor you ask for. It's a state you find yourself in. It's the same word, if you know from Luke 1, it's the same word Mary prayed when she found out she was going to be pregnant with Jesus. She said, all generations will consider me Makarios. All generations will consider me this. It's something that she found herself in. It's a state that was given to her. It's a status. Um, something that exists, right, that you find yourself in. You're blessed. And I've been trying to think, uh, getting at this, I've been trying to think of a langu- uh, like a contemporary language cultural equivalent to this term in terms of how we speak and we think. And I, keep, I kept coming back. This isn't perfect, so don't push this too far. But I keep coming back to the term lucky how we use the term lucky. So consider, I want you to consider the emotion you experience when you, look at a, when you look at a person or a situation 
and you think, oh, they're so lucky, right? That could be, it could be a zillion things. It could be someone that you perceive as maybe they have a personality you really wish you had, or maybe they have wealth that you really wish you had, or I don't know, whatever. But what, what I'm getting at is the emotion, the, the, the feeling, the experience of looking at someone and thinking, ah, they're lucky. You know, like that, there's kind of this visceral feeling. That is closer to what Makarios is getting at, is blessed. Like deeply fortunate is actually one way you can translate it. Deeply fortunate. That's why I don't think lucky is actually too far off the mark. But deeply fortunate. To be happy. Eugene Peterson translates it in the, the message. He just says happy. Happy are those who are Makarios. So we're going to look at some really important teaching from Jesus. And like I said, he uses this term over and over. Blessed, blessed are, blessed are those, blessed are those. So I want you to think about it as we get into it. I want you to try to think about it as fortunate, lucky, happy, really blessed. Not in the shallow way, like on social media, but to truly be fortunate. And before we look at it, um, we're going to go to Matthew 5 as we get there. But one more thing I want to say before we do. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus's. We're going through uh, Matthew broadly um, currently, and so far we've been looking at events that have happened in Jesus's life: his birth, um, his baptism, calling the new disciples. Um, here we're kind of transitioning into about a month or so where we're going to be focusing on things Jesus taught. So not so much events, but things that he explained, things that he taught to us. And I just want you to consider as we look into this when Jesus is talking about those who are blessed. I want you to consider this thought. This is something else that's easy to breeze over if you don't stop and reflect on it. But if what we believe is true, as Christians, if what we believe is true, that Jesus is God come to us, God in flesh, God incarnate. If that's true, then what we, what we believe is that the author and creator of life itself came to us as a person. Think about that. The author of life, the creator of life the originator of life, the one who invented humanity is the other way I like to think about it. <laughs> the inventor of all of humanity came to us as a human. That's what we believe. Then, if that, if that person, if the author of humanity came to us as a human and decided to teach us about what it meant to be human, maybe we should listen to those words. Maybe we should pay attention to those teachings, right? And I just wanted to say that to tee up what we're going to look at because we're going to spend some time looking at what he taught us. It can be a real error. It can be an easy error to commit what, to, to be what Dallas Willard calls a, be a vampire Christian, which is just interested in Jesus for a little bit of his blood, but nothing really else, you know? Um, <laughs> but we should, be, we should pay attention to what he taught, too. What he did, yes. And we're going to take communion later, so yes, we always commemorate what he did, of course. It's super important. But what he taught, too, is really, really crucial. Because, again, he was the author of life who came to us. Um, okay. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Lord, would you speak to us through these words that have been recorded, through this text that you've preserved for us? Um, I, pray that we, I pray that I would pay very special attention to the way your spirit is moving in our community um, use this time to elevate the name of Jesus amongst us, to bring new life into our community. Um, I pray you would draw us into what it means to be blessed, to be fortunate, according to the life that is lived following your son. Um, 
your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so as I said, we're, gonna, we're approaching a section of time and looking at the teachings of Jesus. Today is going to be the opening of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're, we're not um, just the way that the whole series has been kind of built out. Um, we're not going to be able to do exhaustively the entire Sermon on the Mount over the next few weeks. Um, so I would really encourage you to take some time and read it sometime. Read the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters. It'll take you a couple minutes. Instead of doom scrolling for a few minutes, put it down and read the Sermon on the Mount. That's my, that's my homework assignment to you for this week. Um, we're just going to look at the opening of it in Matthew chapter 5. Next week, Ken is going to speak to us about some text from Matthew chapter 7. Um, today, we're looking at what's known as the Beatitudes, the blessings. Um, and what I want to do, actually, for the next few minutes is, it's funny, as I was thinking about this, I was like, it just occurred to me, I am looking to build a sermon off of a sermon. <laughs> um, so maybe I should just try to stick with the format that Jesus used. <laughs> that might be the safest way to do it. So I'm just going to step through each beatitude. I'm just going to step through each one, read it. I'm going to comment on each one, just in order. My hope is that by the end, we get kind of this full portrait of what Jesus said about what it meant to be blessed, uh, to be fortunate, to be lucky. Um, and I hope that the experience of hearing all these things in a row might provoke us to rethink what it, what it means to be blessed, actually, and what that could actually look like in our life as a community. So, here we go. I'm going to step through each one. The sermon is teed up by Jesus going to a mountain and calling his followers around himself. And then these are his first words in what is probably his most famous stretch of teaching. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I'm just going to read each one, and then I'm going to kind of translate it or comment on it. Lucky are, lucky are those who are poor in spirit. Lucky, fortunate are those who are humble, who have an appropriate view of their own propensity to contribute to the problems of the world. An appropriate view of their own ability to sin. (laughs) Rather than a grandiose vision of themselves as heroes and saviors. These are the poor in spirit. These are the people who know they need a savior and are true members of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Lucky, fortunate, fortunate, listen to this, are those who are mourning right now. This is what Jesus is saying. Fortunate are you who mourn. Lucky, Happy are those who are mourning because, because, this is my interpretation of it, they are really in touch with what it means to live in a sin-wracked world. Those who mourn are the ones who get, who understand that suffering just cannot be avoided in this life. These are the ones who know they need comfort from God and they will appreciate that comfort deeply when it comes because it is coming. Comfort is coming. The next one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Lucky, fortunate, lucky are those who are meek. Lucky are the ones who don't give in to extremes of arrogance, of pomposity. They don't give in to seeking power, fame, influence. But neither do they give in to relentless self-criticism and self-punishment and self-loathing. These are the meek. These are the ones who will ultimately have a home with God when all is said and done. The next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. They will be filled. 
lucky are those who genuinely and earnestly desire the deep justice that only God can bring about, who hunger for it, who feel the pangs of not having it. Because they are the ones, they are the ones who are in touch with the reality that humans can't bring this justice about ourselves. They get it. And yet, yet they refuse to give in to hopelessness and despair. They still hunger. You only hunger if you believe that it can actually be filled, right? You only thirst if you believe there's water somewhere. These are the ones who will see and partake in God's true and perfect and full justice when it arrives. And they will be utterly satisfied and joyful to experience that. They will be so filled. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. Lucky and fortunate and happy are those who freely extend mercy and forgiveness to other people, even to those who wound them and wrong them. Because these are the ones, the merciful are those who know, they know that we all need mercy from each other as we live out our imperfect lives, as we make mistakes, as we hurt others. The merciful are the people who are able to receive mercy because they get what it takes to offer it. And they will drink deeply of the grand mercy of the Father when everything is done, when everything is complete. Man, they will experience the forgiveness that they offer to others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Lucky and fortunate and happy and truly blessed are those who have a purity and simplicity at the core of their being and their soul. These are the ones who have a childlike desire to see goodness and beauty in the world around them. And they have no intentions to harm or wound others. Even though, even though harming and wounding will happen, they don't intend to. There's a purity of heart at their core. These are the ones who will see God at work every day. Because God is the essence of purity. God is the essence of beauty. God is goodness. And the pure in heart will see that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Lucky and fortunate and happy are those who endeavor and work diligently to repair hurts, to resolve conflicts, to establish and build peace in their families, in their neighborhoods, in their places of work, in their communities. Peacemakers know, they know that this kind of peace, the shalom of God, is not a passive pursuit, something you just simply wait around for, but they know it's worth working towards and that God desires all of, all of humanity and all of creation to experience this peace. These are the ones, these are the people who will be known as God's children when God's perfect peace is established fully. They're the, they're, they're the ones who will be named God's children, those who work towards peace. This is where it gets tougher. Even tougher. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think about this. Happy are those who are persecuted. Fortunate, lucky are those who are persecuted. What? Lucky are those who experience social injury and misunderstanding, ostracization from others. 
That's what Jesus is saying. Those are the lucky ones. Those who are experiencing this because they are endeavoring to live God's life in an ungodly world. Those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, that's an important descriptor, not persecuted because they're a jerk. (laughs) Those who are persecuted because they are endeavoring to live God's righteous life in a world that is racked with sin and unrighteousness. These are the ones who can be certain of their membership, be assured, be at rest that they are truly members of God's kingdom. They can be at rest that they are part of the new thing God is doing. And finally, this is the, fi- this is the last beatitude. This is the longest one, actually. I didn't even have the room for the full thing on the screen. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. From Jesus' perspective. Rejoice and be glad when this happens. This might be the hardest one to accept. But truly lucky, truly fortunate, truly happy somehow are those who receive insults and slanderous words and lies. Lucky are you when people lie about you because of Jesus. Again, Not people who receive insults because they're begging for it or because they're acting like a jerk or because of whatever. But lucky are you who receive insults because of Jesus. Lucky are you. People who experience this stand in a long line through all of human history of leaders, of teachers, of prophets, of spiritual guides who have been misunderstood because the world does not accept the way of Jesus that they point to the name of the Savior that they point to. If you're misunderstood because you're pointing to the name of Jesus, then you're lucky. Then you're fortunate. And not only are you fortunate, you should rejoice in your persecution. You should be glad. Because, and this is the part I couldn't fit on the screen, because reward is coming. Your reward is in heaven. Your reward is with your Father who sees what you're experiencing. Reward, rest, and healing are ahead. And therefore, you can rejoice even in, even in the midst of receiving the false slander and the insults. So these are the Beatitudes. This is how Jesus opens up his famous sermon. I don't believe that these are meant to be taken individually, per se. I don't think that we're supposed to look at them and just grab one and apply it to my life, because that's the one that I think I resonate the most with. I don't, I don't think that's how we're supposed to hear these or experience these. But taken together, read straight through as I did just now, taken together and looking at the whole picture, I think that they portray a portrait, a, a, a layered portrait, a multifaceted gem so to speak, of what the Christian life in this world looks like, what it means to follow Jesus now. And I want to end now, in these last few minutes, I want to end with three observations in closing. So the first one is these are, if it hasn't been clear yet, these are utterly countercultural, completely countercultural. Think about how we would Think about, I don't know, motivational speaker, 
person of influence, gets up on a stage and gives a talk about the good life in our world right now? What would they say? What would they say are marks of blessing? Fame, influence, money, power, glory, reputation, perfect kids, perfect job, perfect spouse. All right, the list can go on. Just picture, picture that, right? We can, we've all heard it. We all imagine it. We all feel, if we're honest, we feel the allure of those things. We, we feel the, the idea that that's where blessing is. That's where fortune is. Luck, luck and happiness are. And Jesus stands up on this mountain right after calling his first disciples, right after getting the most, like he's just started to get some traction, so to speak. If he had a ministry coach, <laughs> and I've had ministry coaches, the, minute, the, the coach would say something like, just keep doing the healings. That's where you're getting the crowds, right? That's where you're starting to get some traction here. Just keep doing those. Some exorcisms, you know, spice it up a bit. Um, but don't get on a mountain and say that you're lucky if you get persecuted because of following me. That's, let's, let's save that until people are really bought in, you know? No, Jesus goes right up on the mountain and says this list of things. Completely countercultural. Not fame, but poor in spirit. Not power, but meekness. Not accruing glory, but giving mercy. Making peace. Not trying to be an influencer, but actually rejoicing when you get slandered falsely. Man, this is completely backwards. Upside down. Second observation. They are plural, not singular. This is important. Every you, every now, or every, every um, descriptor in the Beatitudes is plural in the Greek. Nothing singular. It's so easy when we read stuff like this in our culture, which is so hyper-individualized. So easy to miss this. But these blessings, I really believe this fortune that Jesus is talking about is found as we live in faith and loyalty to Jesus together, communally, corporately. Consider this list of Beatitudes as a plural communal description of our life together as Missio Dei Church. Not your life individually as you go back to wherever you live today. But this is, this is where we together find blessing and fortune. As we pursue what it means to be a family that is marked by, me, by, by, by meekness, mercy, peacemaking, poor in spirit. Together, as we lean in together. This is a crucial part of the blessing and happiness and fortune that Jesus is talking about. One example of this, to, to, to kind of point out a little bit more of what I mean. It's really easy, I think, to be skeptical when you just hear something like, blessed are you who mourn, happy are you who mourn, right? When you hear that, it's like, that doesn't make sense. That, that literally doesn't make sense, actually. It means happy are you when you're not happy. <laughs> uh, that does not make sense. But... If, especially if you individualize it. That's my point. If you individualize that, that's really hard to grasp. But when you picture it, when you grasp the plural nature of it, blessed are you. It's actually, I'm have a hard time getting through this. There's a lot of us who are mourning right now. We've lost someone in our community who's really important to many of us.
mourning with others, not individually, but when you mourn and you know someone else knows that you're mourning and they're with you in it, the plurality of that, that's when the pronouncement of blessing starts to make some sense to me. Okay, I, see, I can see what Jesus means here. When we mourn together, we'll be comforted. And that applies to all of them. And then finally, this is the third one that I want to say here. This is, this is the most important thing, probably. I'm going to say all morning. The blessed life, the fortunate life, the happy life that Jesus is calling us to embody here is utterly and completely centered and dependent on him. It's not something that you can listen to him teach and then go off. And this is the error that a lot of people, skeptical, secular, whatever, people fall into when they just point to Jesus as, yeah, a wise teacher. You can kind of glean some of his teachings and then go off and live your life and try to apply them to yourself. I don't think that's possible. Radically misses the point. This whole thing is radically dependent on him. Because it's as we believe he is who he says he is. This goes back to the point I made earlier. It's only as we believe that he really is God incarnate. He really is the author of life that has come to us. It's only as we really believe that and endeavor to be loyal to him in this life that through faith, through belief, through trust, because what else does that mean? If, you, it, it, if someone explains to you how to live, you have to trust them to start to put their words into practice, right? So it is through trust in Jesus that he is who he says he is and that his words have merit. Through belief in that, through trust in that, that we begin to cultivate a deep loyalty to him. And it is in that process, I believe, that equips us to live as he instructed us to live in this life. And then, then we become a community marked by the poor in spirit, humility, by being in touch with suffering, by freely offering mercy, by working to make peace. And yes, a community that is even able to endure and receive insult and misunderstanding and persecution from a world that is seeking blessing in every opposite way than what we just talked about. Of course they're going to scorn. If you're truly seeking blessing in the things Jesus just listed out, of course people who are seeking blessing in all the opposite ways are going to scorn that. It's not going to make sense. But somehow in all of this, Jesus promises we, we will find the blessing of the kingdom. As we are dependent on him, centered on him. It can't be through anyone else. It can't be through anything else. And now I want to transition to communion with this in mind. Um, Ken, maybe if you and Emily could hand out the the cups. Um, They're going to come around with communion elements. I'll guide us through. But what I want to say about this, in light of everything I just shared about the Beatitudes, is that Jesus taught us that this is where blessing is found, but not only did he teach us this, he lived this. He lived this life. He lived this blessed life. He, above all, was poor in spirit. He, above all, was meek. He, above all, was merciful. He sought to build peace. And he endured the worst of scorn and slander and false witness and persecution unto a cross. 
he didn't just teach us something, he explained it and showed it to us and lived it. Even unto a cross. And we are, we are therefore proclaiming the name of a king who invites us into a way of life that he himself embodied and lived out perfectly before us. And therefore, upon walking to the cross and walking out of the tomb, he opened up a way for us to live into his kingdom, a way for us to depend on him. This is what we remember and commemorate as we take communion every week. And we do take communion every week. If you've been around, you'll know that. But this practice that we're about to do, which I'll step us through, points back to the broken flesh and the spilled blood of our king. The one who went up onto a mountain and explained these beatitudes. Where blessing is found. And it may not make sense... Well, it definitely doesn't make sense on a cultural, fleshly, earthly level. But to experience the blessing and the fortune of Makarios in this way, it requires deep trust and faith and allegiance and loyalty to this man. Because that's the only way that we can even access it, is to believe he was, he was who he said he was and that what he said was true. And so I invite you to open up your cups now. You can take the uh, wafer. And consider what it meant to be a follower of Christ who heard these words on the mountain and then shared the dinner with him before he went to his death. When he broke bread and he handed it to you and to his, to his disciples and said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it and eat. So I invite you to take the um, cracker and dip it into the juice and eat. And then he took wine and he blessed it and he poured it and he said this is my blood spilled for the new covenant shed shed for you so you might find the blessing that he taught about I invite you now to take and drink I'm going to pray for us and then um, we're going to sing one song together in response Lord I pray that you would do something new in these Beatitudes, through these Beatitudes in our hearts and in our souls and in our minds this morning. May we be drawn into deeper loyalty and trust to you, our King. And Lord, I pray we would be, mar- we would be a community marked by the humility of being poor in spirit, by offering mercy, by building up peace, by being pure in heart. Would you do that work in us? It's not something we can summon up ourselves or make of ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit to enliven us and renew us to those ends. But Lord, we want to be a countercultural community marked by these blessings. Not for our own glory, but to point to your name and to your kingdom. Lord, we know your goodness. We know your love, your loyalty and your faithfulness to us. I just pray that you would stir up a faithful response in us as your people. May we go out from this place more deeply in love and loyal to you than we entered. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.